This week's curation was published on Friday, October 23rd, 2020. In this week's episode, we'll be considering the growing dilemma of disinformation, and we'll also make some observations about single-issue voters. Welcome to Curation. In today's consideration piece, we ask the question, can we dodge a disinformation dystopia? Fake news, synthetic media and deep fakes. We're fast approaching a time where we'll find it impossible to know what's real. Why are we so susceptible to disinformation? The synthetic media two-step. Any information that's produced or modified using artificial means is called synthetic media. The applications are as endless as they are exciting. One example will be the revolution of education. Imagine an AI algorithm that creates an infinite number of short lessons to teach you the history of the Industrial Revolution. Not only will it repurpose existing materials into a bespoke set suited to you, it will also create new materials, diagrams, graphs, maps, audio accounts from workers' diaries, YouTube speeches from factory owners explaining the production improvements of the last 50 years, video, audio, print, images, art, and any other format you'd prefer, all wrapped up in personalized mnemonics to help it stick. There's no limit to what's going to be created. We can see that synthetic media will become incredibly useful. It's already a lot of fun. Check out how the South Park goons are using deepfake tech to make their new show. Are you feeling run down? Have you been diagnosed with type 1 or type 2 kidney failure? Then come on down to Cheyenne Dialysis. We've got all the deals and all the customers that made me the dialysis king of Cheyenne. Full kidney dialysis is $89,999. Two-day full kidney dialysis, $199,999. At these prices, you can't afford not to get dialysis. No insurance, no problem. We'll work with you using your mortgage, will, or other assets. Stop being a burden on your family and come get dialysis today. And don't get it from anyone but the Dialysis King. On the corner of Laramie and Fairfax, right next to Applebee's in downtown Cheyenne. You couldn't tell from that audio, but that was um, a deep fake of Mark Zuckerberg uh, trying to sell dialysis. So, yeah, you know, synthetic media can be fun, but it can also be devastatingly negative. There's an endless list of bad actors queuing up to feed us a diet of misinformation. And Russia's been the lead dealer of that disinformation through groups like the Nefarious Internet Research Agency. And now experts tell us that other authoritarian regimes like China are looking to Russia and copying what they've been doing for years. What motivates these bad actors is a topic for a whole other conversation. And Julia Ioffe has described the mind of the authoritarian really well in her 2018 essay, What Putin Wants. Ultimately, she says, it's much easier to hold your opponent back than it is to propel yourself. And the last few years have proven beyond doubt that a torrent of chaotic disinformation can be used to devastating effect against a society. That's the synthetic media two-step. One step forward with this tech revolution, two steps back when it's wielded by a bad actor. So how do these bad actors make it onto the dance floor in the first place? The answer is, it's never been easier to mislead. There was a time when it was super expensive to be a broadcaster. Every broadcast license came after heavy government scrutiny. 
Then it took huge sums of money to build the infrastructure and then the audience. The barriers were significant. And as a result, there were very few broadcast media options like TV, radio or newspapers. And to the extent that the media we consume shapes our reality, there were only a few realities in those simpler times. Further, the hurdles to get a broadcast license created skin in the game, as Taleb would say. The journalistic method of research, source verification and fact-checking was just expected, and public complaints about a breach of broadcast standards could result in fines, loss of licences and public prosecution. There were very strong incentives not to be a bad actor. But now everyone's a broadcaster and the standards are just historical artefacts. Weekday print circulation for the New York Times is 443,000 copies. On Twitter, the New York Times has 43 million followers. Trump has double that. Obama has 140 million. Even Elon Musk has 40 million. Meanwhile, comedian-turned-podcaster Joe Rogan has 10 million subscribers on YouTube. As Naval Ravikant puts it, today it's a different world. YouTube, Twitter and Facebook let one human broadcast to billions without permission, without censors, without delay. Social media makes mass organisation and resistance possible. YouTube killed TV and Twitter ate the news. Donald's tweeting from his jet and Bernie's Kickstarter went viral. Software is eating politics and the elites have lost control. With millions of realities being broadcast at us each day, sifting through the madness feels like a Sisyphean task. And I love the uh, example of uh, Brandolini's law, the BS asymmetry principle. And it says that the amount of energy needed to refute BS is an order of magnitude bigger than it takes to produce it. True. A perfect storm of dissatisfaction. We're fast approaching peak information. Anyone who wants to write a newsletter, produce a video channel, or start a protest can do it from their couch. And we consume unlimited content from the best and worst minds that have ever lived while sitting on that same couch. We're processing more information than we ever have, but it won't be long before the machines start to process it for us. Meanwhile, average education continues its rapid climb and so does average wealth. As more of us progress through Maslow's hierarchy into the middle classes of society, we find ourselves edging closer to revolution. As Francis Fukuyama puts it when he was quoting Samuel Huntington, revolutions are never created by poor people. They're actually created by the middle class. They're created by people who are educated to have opportunities, but these opportunities are blocked by the political or economic system. It's the gap between the expectation and the ability of the system to accommodate their expectations that causes political instability. So the growth of middle class, he thinks, is not a guarantee against insurgencies, but a cause of insurgencies. I think that all of the elements are in place to create the perfect storm of dissatisfaction. Increased access to information, plus increased education, plus an upward economic mobility, and all of that equals an increased dissatisfaction with institutions. But what does dissatisfaction have to do with disinformation? The decline of institutions has actually left us defenceless. Sam Harris thinks that our trust in institutions, governments, press, universities, scientific journals, 
is at an all-time low and deservedly so. Peter Thiel thinks we've substituted realities like politics and war for fictionalized worlds like video gaming. We've turned from the outer life to an inner life. We've traded politics for entertainment. Um, he's more of a moon landing guy than a Woodstock guy. George Orwell suggested that people have a need to fill the void left behind by a loss of faith in church or army or orthodoxy or discipline. I agree with all of them. We've turned our back on the church and its definition of Christian values. We've embraced science, but we've failed to agree on a basis for a new set of values. The cult of individualism has replaced community and progress has taken a backseat to comfort. We've lost faith in our institutions, often for good reason, and we've removed them as the centerpiece of society. But with no agreed replacement, we've created a vacuum. Exploiting that weakness, our enemies have mastered the black arts of disinformation. They fill the void with any number of realities, amplified by social media and millions of newly minted broadcasters. So should we just surrender and accept a disinformation dystopia? What can we do about it? Humans can't compete against the automated production of malicious media. It's too hard to detect and there's simply too much of it. Limitless variations, A-B tested around the clock to identify the best trigger for the desired response. It's possible that AI technology will eventually be able to detect synthetic media, but as Nina Schick points out, there is way more money going into the creation of synthetic media than the detection of it. It's clear that the cavalry isn't coming to save us, but there are actions we can take to improve the situation. First, our government should hold people accountable. Those who make billions by producing synthetic media must also be responsible for detecting disinformation and deep fakes. The incentive to detect needs to match the incentive to create. Second, we the community should fill the void left by abandoned institutions. That starts by re-establishing an agreed set of values that we hold as a standard for ourselves and our institutions. And if that seems impossible, we can at least define our own values and establish standards with our families and friends and community. Third, you should only consume as much media as you can reliably process. You can't rely on citizen journalists to fact check, verify sources and remove biases. You need to do it yourself. Use a fact checker like Snopes or consider the counter argument to an issue. Look for reputable news agencies. Avoid using services where an algorithm pushes content at you based on your profile. Be mindful of content that triggers an extreme response in you. Ultimately, I recommend that we approach media consumption like any other diet. Be mindful about what you consume. Where does it come from? Is it whole or modified? Does it cause an unhealthy response? Our world will change if we consume less junk. Juxtaposition. With the looming US election, the evangelicals have come out of the woodwork to take sides. Pat Robertson believes God has shown him that Donald Trump will win re-election, followed by a series of earth-shaking events, including massive civil unrest across the US. 
There's going to be a war. Ezekiel 38 is going to be the next thing down the line. Then a time of peace. Then maybe the end. But nobody knows the day or the hour when the Lord's going to come back. He said the angels don't know it. And only the Father knows it. So I'm not saying this is the second coming, but I am saying there are things that people have thought <clears throat> would be during a millennial time with the coming of Jesus that are going to happen in our lifetime. And uh, the next thing is the election that's coming up in just a few weeks, at which time, according to what I believe the Lord told me, the president is going to be reelected. I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying by all means, get out and vote, to, vote for whoever you want to vote for. But by all means, let your voice be heard. But it's going to lead to civil unrest of a great proportion, then a war against Israel and so forth and so on. Meanwhile, influential pastor John Piper has challenged Christians who plan to vote for Donald Trump by saying, when a leader models self-absorbed, self-exalting boastfulness, he models the most deadly behaviour in the world. We have links to their articles in the Curation Newsletter so you can read further and make up your own mind. In this week's observation, we address the topic of voting and values. How to tell if you're a single-issue voter in 10 easy steps. When you think of single-issue voters, you think of topics like gun control, abortion, immigration, euthanasia and gay marriage. Is there an issue that pushes your buttons so deeply that you're unable to look past it? The fact is that no single issue kills more people, has more effect on an economy, or delivers more change to society than all of the other issues combined. If you agree with that statement, then perhaps you'll agree that it's important to consider all of the issues before you cast a vote. Of course, there's very few people who think that they are a single issue voter. Um, you know, they think there's lots of single issue voters out there, but, but that's not me. So how can you tell if you're a single issue voter? Well, here's my top 10 list. Number one, Make a list of the top 10 issues that you think are important and then state that issue in the form of a yes or no question. On the website, I provide a link to a great uh, resource that, that will help you formulate some, uh, some issues and questions. For example, uh, the question that you might formulate would be, should terminally ill patients be allowed to end their lives via assisted suicide? Number two, take one of those issues and rate it against each of your personal values. Which of them is met or broken by a yes-no stance on the issue? Uh, again, on, in the newsletter, I've provided a, a full Excel model that I use to list out my values and then uh, calculate a, a rating uh, against an issue. Uh, so you can click on that and, and use it as well. Um, I also provide links to an article that explains how I define my key values. But for this number two, here's an example. So one of my values is to avoid dogma. Um, so how much is a yes or a no response driven by dogma? That's the question that I would ask there. And I scored a no response, four out of five. So if you answer no to uh, terminally ill patients being allowed to end their lives via assisted suicide, I said that a no response to that was, was high dogma. And I said that a yes response to that was what I considered to be low dogma. 
Then in number three, uh, the point number three is to write a short explanation of your reasons for scoring it that way. And, and remember, you're doing this for yourself, but it's really to come up with a, an understanding of why you lean in a certain direction. So my example for number three, when I wrote an explanation of why I gave those scores, I said that I, I see religious dogma as the main driver for people with a no response, but I don't see that same dogma as a key influence for people who gave a yes response. Number four, sometimes you'll find that you don't know enough about an issue to give a definitive score or to write a meaningful explanation for your position. And that's when you should hit pause and do the research. Um, Shane Parrish uh, writes a blog called the FS, uh, the Farnham Street blog. And he nails it in, in that blog with, with an article called The Work Required to Have an Opinion. Um, I would suggest it's essential reading. You should go and have a look uh, at what he has to say um, about the work required in order to have a, a valuable opinion. Number five, add up the pros and cons for each of your values and look at the total score. Will your position on the issue follow the numbers? So note the numbers, they're not remotely definitive. They're just useful prompts to help you consider the issue through the lens of your values. Number six, if you decide to vote against the numbers, so say the, the total score comes out to be uh, a response of yes, uh, when in your gut you really wanted to vote no or your position is no against uh, assisted suicide, then if you decide to vote against those numbers, then you need to write a brief explanation to yourself of, of what your key reasons are. Because there may be times where you have a conviction that causes you to ignore the numbers, but it's really, it's crucial for you to identify your motivations behind that decision. Number seven, repeat that process one to six for each of your top 10 issues. Number eight, compare your position to the candidates or parties' positions. So do the research work, read authoritative articles, listen to the candidates pitch, figure out what their position is um, compared to yours. And number nine, ask yourself this key question. Am I choosing the candidate or party that matches more of my positions than the other candidates or parties do? And if the answer is no, then you, then you really need to consider that you're, you've become a single issue voter. Number 10, and this is an optional question. If a candidate you disliked was super strong on one of your key issues, would you change your vote? These are the kind of questions you need to ask yourself to really understand what's driving your vote, what issues are really important to you. So if you followed that process and if you bothered to do the work, now you know. You know what issues matter to you. You know why you hold your position on each issue. You know what the candidates and parties stand for. You know why you chose a candidate or a party. And if it came down to a single issue, you know why that one issue was more important to you than every other issue combined. You've done the work to have an opinion. And that's important because while everyone is entitled to an opinion, not every opinion is equal. Uh, you know, imagine that there's an important issue to which you've given no consideration, had no personal experience with, you've not helped someone struggling through it, and, and you've not donated towards it but you've just watched a great TV segment and now you have a definitive opinion that has you all fired up about that issue. 
But doesn't that sound ridiculous when you hear it out loud? If you don't want to do the work to have an opinion, that's your call. But perhaps you should consider pulling back on being vocal about your position. If you've done the work, you've equipped yourself to have meaningful conversations about any of the issues. You can clearly articulate your position without resorting to campaign slogans that just lead to dead-end conflict. Without conversation, all we have left is conflict and violence. So let's all do our part to move one step closer to peaceful agreement. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please check out this week's curation newsletter, which also has a few subscriber favourites like a weekly logic challenge. Um, Seems like a lot of people love those puzzles and riddles. Um, And lists of music, videos and articles that I've really enjoyed this week and that you might enjoy over the weekend. If you'd like to see more of what I'm exploring, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Otherwise, thanks for listening and have a great weekend.